Malcolm Honeline is executive vice chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations, joins us for the weekly update here at JM in the AM. Mr. Holmline, welcome back to JM in the AM. No, thank you. After a nice, quiet week, nothing happening, and it's good to have a chance just to reflect quietly. Boy, you must have put yourself in seclusion. You must have been isolated. You must have been in a, in a basement. You must have been in a serious COVID-type environment if you think nothing happened this week. Nonetheless, I will quiz you anyway, because I have a feeling that even you, in an isolated state, knows more about what's happening in current events than most of us do. Uh, the results, the results which are still being determined and still being counted in the United States election. Now, what happened was here, Tuesday morning, election day, Kalbach special, encouraging everybody to vote. Wednesday morning until about 9.30, and we went long Wednesday morning because we were uh, analyzing with our political pundits what was happening. The assumption was Donald Trump was going to win, looked like Pennsylvania was a win, and of course, many other states that would require uh, um, that he would be required to get in order to get to 270. And those conversations were conducted under that premise. And then at about 9.30 in the morning, uh, yeah, I should say Michigan, not Pennsylvania, about 9.30 in the morning on Wednesday, all of a sudden things switched and hundreds of thousands of votes started going in the other direction. And now you know where we are. We're, we're at what looks like a uh, an eventual victory and um uh, and uh, elected as uh, president elect for Joe Biden again hasn't happened yet but uh it's certainly heading in that direction what is your reaction to this very interesting week and very interesting process to get to this point well it is very interesting in the sense of the chinese curse may you live in interesting times uh, certainly overdone with this one um the American people have spoken the fact that record numbers of people voted. Uh, we see the changes. It, it highlights the changes in the demography of our country and the shifts that are, are taking place. And the important thing is that they come together after an election and, you know, we demonstrate the unity that is essential for progress, especially in the age of COVID. I think the stresses on society are immense. I think the, the, the challenges ahead in terms of the economic Challenges of cities and states is is incredible. Uh, I think the you know we have so many uh, sundry other uh, things related to to the economic dislocation, social dislocation that has come about. And for too long, it seems that the often the international affairs have gotten such short shrift. Nobody even seems to care much about what is happening on the international scene, and much is happening uh, that doesn't get any attention. So uh, I hope now, after this is over, we'll be able to refocus everybody on some of those issues and, and talk about the governance and getting things done. Any Anyone who, like you, you just said you want to see unity, you want to see everyone coming together, you want to see post-election, you know, Americans behave like they mostly have, and leadership in America behave like they mostly have after every election. I would say all, but I would say almost every. Um, with that in mind, you and others who think the way you do must be pretty disappointed in yesterday's presentation by President Trump, when he uh, displayed everything but uh, a, a desire to be unified and to move forward, you know, in a pretty uh, dignified and peaceful manner. 
Well, I think I don't want to get into the personalities and what each one has said and not said, but I do think, you know, that the the president has a right to pursue through legal means any challenges and where he thinks that there is uh, things that were done wrong. Uh, we have remedies, uh, but then we have to accept the remedies and, and recognize that that is the outcome. Uh, I think, you know, it will clarify in the next 24, 48 hours, even though the number, the counts won't be finished. Um, but for us, you know, it's equally important what happens with the Senate, and we still have now the likelihood of a runoff in, in Georgia of both uh, senators, uh, and that, and with that, could hang the balance because you could end up if both of them lose, then would, the Senate would be 50-50. Uh, even though, well, we'll have to see how some of the other Senates, but the races come out. But essentially, that's pretty clear. Uh, and even if it's 51-49, then that means whoever has the 51 gets to name the chairman of committees, which is very, very important. Uh, you know, it's, it's more significant than the, than the number would indicate about who gets the extra these two seats, how it, how it breaks out. Because if it's a 50-50 split, it's the vice president who, in this case, if it's a Democrat or Republican, uh, uh, will make the difference. We'll have the split vote when when uh, decides to vote if if it is a split. So people are not ever so uh, you know obsessed with what's happening on the presidential front that we should also look at what's happening on the senatorial front on the House rep, uh, side. Obviously, the Democrats will be in control. Uh, it's usually not so great when one party controls all three uh, houses, but um, the, obviously the razor thin margins, and in this, even in the House where there is a, a majority, uh, a Democratic majority, it's much slimmer. They had expected to pick up, I think, four or five seats, even six, uh, but in fact they um, they lost uh, a greater number. So. You know, we're going to have very contentious discussions in both bodies, and I think the, you know, which is why the presidential race should get resolved. We should finish this, the this, the House races. Uh, there will be major changes in the committee chairs. You know, people like Elliot Engel will be gone and Nita Lowy, and they'll be replaced. Well, Greg Meeks will replace Engel, but um, people like Betty McCollum and Barbara Lee and others will be having key the key chairmanships, um, like appropriations, defense, et cetera, which obviously are very vital in the context of aid to Israel and support on so many vital issues. Right. I know that there's uh, – you're right that if the president or anybody you know feels the uh, necessity and has the evidence that there was fraud or some type of uh, uh, illegality, obviously they have a right to uh, to go ahead and uh, and pursue – a justice through the courts, etc. I get all that. But, but the other thing that's striking is that the result is not that crazy to believe, even with the uh, popularity that the president had uh, you know, at his rallies and in certain states before the election. He defeated Hillary in Michigan by 10,000 votes. I mean, that's, a, that's essentially a tie when it comes to you know pre- right. presidential election. You know, even Pennsylvania last time around in 2016, he won by 45,000 votes. Again, you know, it, too close to call, one might say, you know, at some point during that counting. Essentially, and I know that, you know, a lot of people, especially in this audience, are upset, but I'm trying to be realistic here. Essentially, I, I know there could be fraud and things done that, that are not on the up and up, and we know, you know, if you hear, especially in local elections, you, you hear a lot of stories about what goes on behind the scenes. 
But it's not again. We're in Pennsylvania and Michigan in a too close to call environment. It's not that crazy to think a few votes or a few t- or ten, a few ten thousand votes, you know, shifted one way or the other. Four years later, it may shed. It may finally shed light on what many people have said for the last four years, which is we didn't realize how much people hated Hillary Clinton. And that Joe, what the worst thing that happened to Donald Trump this week is that Joe Biden wasn't Hillary Clinton. And if not for COVID, by the way, with this result without COVID, I certainly would be a proponent of that theory. I mean, you could argue that COVID killed the president in this case, not just because of the way he handled it, but because they really changed the rules in a lot of states, you know, with COVID as the excuse, early mailing, etc. So you could say that COVID really killed him this time around. But I mean, I, I and I know people want to believe that there was a lot of, you know, shenanigans. But the reality is, if you look at the numbers, it's not so far-fetched. I don't think it's far-fetched at all. And I think, again... As we do the analysis, and I've spoken to people who specialize in that, I mean, it does reflect the changes in in this country. We're going to be majority-minority country. We are shifting in in the political and and, uh, ethnic makeup of of states when you have the shift of populations, like in Arizona, where a lot of people from California moved, or Texas, or other places. So even the old rules don't necessarily apply anymore. Uh, And, uh, you know, people tend to lock groups in like Hispanics, where, whereas, in fact, there are vast differences. The Cubans tend to be more conservative, and um, uh, also many of those from Venezuela who, uh, and Cuba are very wary of any talk of socialism and things like communism. So those who lived under those systems tend to, to react to the, to the charges. But what's important, and the only reason why I say it should let it run its course, I think, not to make irresponsible statements and not to make charges that aren't founded, but to have the confidence of people after this is over, which is what's essential. And that means if they see that that some of the questions are actually examined and, and however they come out, they at least will have more confidence that we don't go through the next couple of years fighting and refighting this this battle. That's not what we need. Uh, we need to, as I said, I don't know that we'll be unified when this is over. I doubt that. But I do think that we can at least put the rhetoric back to, to rest and, and get focused on the issues. Uh, even, by the way, and I'll, I'll move on in a second, but even in Arizona, he won by 90,000 last time. I, I, again, if Joe Biden was running in 2016, I really wonder what those numbers would have been like. Because the Arizona population, even though it has changed a lot in the last four years, I get it. But even four years ago, could have handled a what they would have considered a moderate, gentlemanly Democrat better than the way they felt about Hillary Clinton. But I don't know. I just Yeah, but people, I think in this race, many of the pundits have said that this wasn't a race between him and Biden. It was a race between Trump and Trump. Yeah, and that looks like... And, that's and, exactly and with Hillary, it was to some degree the same thing. It right. was people had very strong feelings one way or the other. Right. Good point. So. All right, what's most important to us? Uh, let's go to Israel. U.S.-Israel relations. I mean, I know it's impossible for you to predict what Biden or his cabinet and others that he's associated with. And, of course, you have to wait for the Senate, as you just indicated. I, I get it. It's all a guess at this point. But I, I, can the U.S.-Israel relationship stay as strong as it has been the last four years under a new president? Yes, and I think uh, it will be different. Uh, one has to acknowledge all that Trump has done, which is really quite remarkable in the record. Uh, when you go back over the four years, and, and it's a short period of time, how many things he, he did vis-a-vis Israel. Um, but uh, Biden has a long track record. Uh, 
our forces in the party, which I don't think he, he wants to see emerge stronger because it's a threat to him, too, and to, to think other things he believes in, not just related to Israel. Boy, we hope you're right about that. And and the question is whether he will exercise that, um, you know, tough leadership and really um, pull people in. If you notice that they downplayed uh, certain people over the last couple of months and um, and did go against him when it came to the platform, which it turned out well, and it was his personal intervention at that time yep. uh, that accounted for it. But... Uh, look, there's reason to be. That's why we have to be involved. We have people should make their will make, making their voices heard. Maybe even more. There will be um, a, a lot of issues. I think things like the the process, the Abraham process, uh, which uh, continues to grow. You know, Malawi is opening an embassy in in Jerusalem. Their um, the foreign minister, whose first name is Eisenhower, um, w- was in Israel this week. Uh, there are others that are still working on it. Can, um, can Abraham continue without the consent of the United States? Can it just be something that is There is a dynamic, I think, but it may be even stronger that people will look more to Israel, people in the region will look more to Israel if they don't have confidence that the United States or Europe or the West generally will react, which is what in part drove them together against Iran. If they see a weakening of the policy, then Israel looms even larger because they, as many Arab leaders said to me, this is their only hope against the enemy, meaning Iran. So if the United States incorporates a new Iran deal, we could see people, or I should say governments, going directly to Israel and and arranging treaties, meetings, and uh, and and moving forward with them without the United States. And I think even beyond that, they, they you know, uh, Vice President Biden did praise the the Abraham Accords, contrary to some others in the party. And um, so I don't see any reason why that dynamic shouldn't continue. It should. Um, for those it who only thought may, the it, road to Washington is through Jerusalem, it may be they may diminish a little bit, but I think the American-Israel line is not built on individuals. It never has been, and we have to make sure that that's the case. We all work hard to make sure, but the U.S.-Israel relationship, I think, is set. First of all, the aid program is set for years ahead. The the uh, that one that started in with Obama, um, and Biden was a supporter of it at that time. Uh, but the messages are equally important, and that we don't know yet. What will be the message that countries will get about U.S.-Israel relationship, about U.S. commitment to, to stay in the region? Will they uh, take a more active role? You know, the perception was that, that Obama retreated from the Middle East, but also that Trump retreated in, in ways and kept announcing, you know, pulling out troops, et cetera. But in fact, he stayed engaged. We still have troops in Syria. Uh, so it's a question. There are a lot of questions which are we don't know now the answers. But I think that the Abraham Accord dynamic will continue. Sudan is in the process. Others are in the process of looking at it. I think the growth of the uh, Mediterranean Alliance and the and the Gulf Alliance and merging those, as well as the emerging Quad in in um, with India and the, in the Indo-Pacific area, uh, Japan, Australia. In fact, they're going into naval exercises now and with the United States. These are very important developments, and if we can help uh, foster that and then link them together, we will create a whole new dynamic. And it, it's an offset against, you know, the Chinese, the Russians, everybody's been waiting. They're all, you know, r- running around the region, especially now with the arms embargo lifted on Iran. Uh, we can start seeing the arms sales um, w- 
which Iran has been waiting for. They, they, you know, they're still flying F-4s and F-5s uh, from before the revolution since 1979 and want to replace, obviously, their, their fleet um, and many other things that, that the sanctions and the United States, in fact, introduced new sanctions. The cabinet, the, the um, parliament met this week in Iran and they were yelling death to America and they urged people later to burn American, Israeli and French flags. Oh, right. And announced also that they are going to go ahead uh, with their nuclear program and no restrictions. They're telling them to, to start activating the old uh, Fordow uh, facility uh, and others, um, Iraq, which was mothballed, was supposed to be destroyed, but it wasn't. And they've given orders now to, to restart or start rehabilitating those facilities. And they told them they gave them deadlines when they want the IR-6, the, cent- the advanced centrifuges working. And the estimate is now that they, they have enough enrich uranium for several bombs, and and it would take them only a couple of months maybe to assemble one. I don't think that they have, but they certainly are advancing, and they're building a new facility near Natanz. Remember when they blew up this summer, that Natanz facility, we talked about it because it really set them back a year or two, we believe, because that was where the centrifuges were being developed. It was one of nine places that mysteriously exploded, all with work accidents, I guess. Um, and the, um, uh, But now they're building this new facility south of Natanz inside the mountains. So we know the roads, we know where, where it's going to, but nobody knows what's in that facility. It's America's one and only Jewish Moments in the Morning Radio program, heard on listeners-sponsored digital radio, around the world, the web, at NahumSiegel.com and the NahumSiegel Network, and of course on the beloved NSN app. One of the things that did grow this week was the squad. Assuming that New York's Jamal Bauman and, uh, or Bowman, I think it is, and Missouri's Corey Bush uh, are going to accept their invitation to be part of the squad, uh, then now you have, uh, you have six uh, members of the House who are uh, proudly uh, along the same lines of um, Tlaib and that whole crew. Uh, the question really is: Can Biden, as president, marginalize them? You know, you talk about, and your and your your words are encouraging about the potential for even a Biden administration to move forward with Israel and to uh, participate and to encourage the peace agreements, etc. But I mean, the, the question is: How much influence will that wing have? I mean, Bernie Sanders, you know, is expecting, and and his and his. Um, uh, and his followers are expecting uh, a, a certain number of positions, a certain amount of uh, of respect and access to the White House. How how much faith can we have in Biden to fend them off? Well, we'll have to see. We, we, but remember, th- their numbers did not grow that significantly. The anti-Israel group in in the in the Congress is still very small. It, it, it's maybe a million altogether. Even talking about sympathizers, not a necessary part of the squid. And the um, and and you can't lump them all together because several of them do not support BDS. Um, How many of them are real BDSers? How many of them are outright BDS? I don't think she is AOC. I don't think she's ever of the of the six four. I think are I know uh-huh. that that Bomar has said that he isn't, um, and one other uh, also said that the that they don't support uh, BDS. I mean, they support uh, harsher measures right. in Israel. I'm not saying they're pro-Israel, but they... They wouldn't go that they, far. Right? Yeah, they wouldn't go that far, and, and they they moderate their positions, and reality also tends to moderate it. They will be very vocal. Look, she raised... A, AOC, for instance, raised a, a huge amount of money for her race um, and really milked the election very effectively. 
but they did not get the national platforms. And I think the Democratic Party tried to hide them because they knew that that would become a major flashpoint, as it did you know, before the convention about the platform on Israel and that, that the vice president took out the word occupation and uh, other things that they were uh, promoting. Uh, I, I agree with you that Sanders and others, and I saw this video of Sanders talking to them and saying, you know, we're only beginning and we have uh, the yeah. agenda and we're going to push it. Uh, but they can't go against uh, – they don't have a majority, and I don't think that they will have a majority for a lot of what they want to do. Will they move on health care? Yes. I think that a lot of the commitments that the, the vice president has made uh, and the party has made and said as his first priority is uh, some things that we won't like. But I think the uh, – I, I don't think we should exaggerate them. I, I believe for a large part I don't talk about them. I think we shouldn't build them up. Oh, boy, you're not going to like my next question. More <laughs> than the reality. More than the reality. Right. We should be alert to it. We should be working hard now to build ties. But look, you got guys like Richie Torres, who's terrific on Israel, a minority. Uh, he won pretty big. And, and he won significantly. Uh, others also. Um, so, All right, so here, to, here are my two favorite questions of the week, and excuse me after what you just said. Any chance that she runs against Chuck Schumer, AOC runs against Chuck Schumer in the, uh, in the future? I hope so. And, se- and secondly, and secondly, any chance she challenges Nancy Pelosi for Speaker of the House? No. The question is, will Nancy Pelosi run again? She's 80. She said she is. Uh, she wants to go for another term, perhaps. But, you know, when they're heading to the mid-year elections, the midterm elections right. in two years, uh, and the, the record historically is always is that the it would indicate that the Republicans would make more gains, even though I think more Republicans are up for re-election. So, number one, I'm not sure that she will, if she does it maybe two more years, whether she would go further, she'd be happier under a Biden administration than she was uh, previously, if that's the outcome. Uh, I think if, if Trump wins, she may not go at all. Um, but uh, I don't think AOC is uh, is going to challenge. And if she challenges Schumer, I think she'll be roundly defeated. Um uh, she seems to be smart and shrewd in the way she operates. I don't think she's going to go on a suicide mission, uh, but she will. they will certainly try to exercise their influence. And as I said, with McCollum and Lee and others in those positions, that viewpoint will, have, uh, will, will play a more significant role. Joe Biden turned 78 this month. I assume it'll be a... Wow. One-term presidency, and uh, we should. Start, you know what's going to happen uh, by 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 this time next week. People will be uh, conjecturing who's going to be in the uh, next presidential election, both on the Democratic side and on the uh, Republican side. Any idea? I, I haven't heard anything. Maybe I just haven't researched well. Any idea about the Jewish vote nationwide this election? So. Um, y- yes, there's a lot of ideas. The um, in the. Florida case, the estimates go as high as 41% of the Jews voted for for Biden. The, the Republican National Jewish Coalition put in a lot of money there. They did a lot of uh, grassroots organizing. Um, I would say that overall, the tr- the I would in averaging out all the estimates that I heard, that the split was probably 70-30 for for Trump nationwide. It might even be a little bit more. Uh, or a little bit less, but um, 
there were districts in New York that went overwhelmingly for Trump, where there are large Jewish populations, right. especially in Brooklyn. Uh, so, you know, in most polls, really don't take into account the Jewish vote that seriously. Um, but they said we made up about 3% of the electorate. Muslims made up 1%, uh, less than 1%. Uh, other groups also, in the vast majority, obviously, we know. Um, so it's it's a lot of it is guesstimates, but the I think the range that it's it was more than last time, but uh, uh, nationally about thirty percent, twenty eight percent, could be thirty two percent. Yeah, I wonder with all these demographics, uh, I wonder if the Jewish population has gone up in the last four years in places like Georgia and, and Arizona. I just I wonder if, it, if there's any. I know that in. Texas, people talk about uh, you know the major cities growing in terms of Jewish population. That, that, that that's made its mark uh, and made an impression on all of us around the country. I wonder if it's the same as they talk about the expansion of population in places like yeah. Georgia, but relative Arizona. to other groups, it, that it's not just it's it's not the absolute numbers alone. It's relative to who else right. has moved and what other groups there are. And there are plenty moving to those states, I guess. Um, just back again, election related, but back to Israel's uh, role for a second. Uh, you mentioned, and, and there are no doubt, uh, smaller countries that are ready to, uh, you know, that are standing in line to make peace agreements with Israel, similar to the one the UAE and others made. But does this put Saudi Arabia, because of its size and influence, in a different position? Can they move forward? Because remember, the rumors have been, including stuff we've heard from you, uh, the rumors have been that Saudi Arabia has an interest to move forward with an agreement like that with Israel. D- does the change in Washington affect that at all? Because Saudi Arabia is sort of a different uh, type of relation with Israel now than the uh, than the other countries are? Well, uh, we don't have an answer for that yet. Um, Saudi Arabia is different, that's true, and uh, we've pointed it out. It's bigger, it's, uh, it's very significant. They have a different population. The UAE population is very much in support of, of what Israel, the relationship with Israel. And Iran and Syria care more what they do than what the UAE does in other countries like that, right? Wouldn't that be accurate? They do, and Iran is doing more to undermine the regime because, you know, they have a Shiite population in, um, in, Gush- in Katif, in the area nearest Bahrain and where the oil centers are. So they, they, they have a whole series of concerns that they are playing. But at the same time, there are more secret contacts going on there with others, with Oman, with other country, other Arab countries that still aren't reported. The, um, uh, so the Saudi government is going to have to make assessments, and they, the the encouragement of the U.S. administration, certainly in a case like of Sudan or the UAE, uh, work was very important to sell the F-15s um, to the F-35s to to UAE was clearly uh, an important part of the of the deal. The incentives that administration uh, can give. So Saudi Arabia and some of the others are obviously going to be looking very carefully at, uh, you know, the situation in the region. They've already started work on the big new development that's going from the Jordanian border all the way to the Egyptian border. It's opposite Israel. Uh, and the importance of Israeli technology, et cetera, for them only grows. So there are, are, are so many question marks. We saw that many of these countries, that even the UAE and others, voted in the UN against Israel uh, on the resolution, the anti-Israel resolutions. They they supported uh, them this time, um, and 
you know, we also have to see what the relationship will be with the Palestinians, if, if they will open, reopen the office, as they said, as Kamala Harris said, or in Washington, and uh, renew uh, humanitarian aid, um, which is a different issue, but it's, is uh, related to the, um, to the overall policy, what, what kind of shifts will take place. All of these things will will have to be assessed. I don't think you're going. It's it's not going to be a cataclysmic change. You know that in January 21st, all of these things will will happen. It, it may, I don't want to make you feel uncomfortable in terms of naming names, but I mean, you know, people people have associated Shelley Adelson, for instance. Uh, you know, if, if someone would ask, is there somebody that's close with Trump who's influential, that's a lover of Israel, would be him. Is there anybody? I mean, there has to be after 47 years in Washington. There must be people in the pro-Israel community who have a relationship and a relatively positive one with Joe Biden, right? I mean, Absolutely. Okay, Absolutely. I, I think well, that's a, I've had a long relationship with him. I, uh, I know the people around him. Some of them are, are very good. Um, others will have to see. I mean, we don't know who who will be in there, who will be Secretary of State. Uh, you know, people like Susan Rice's name has come up. Other names have come up. Um, UN? UN you, we, don't, we don't know. And the UN uh, job, I know several people who are interested in it, and they would be very good. Uh, but we we don't we don't know where all of this will will play out yet so i think you know we also have to see how what iran will do we see see the kind of uh, extreme rhetoric and they saying that we're not going to make a deal with biden we're not going to make a deal with trump we don't care who the president is we right. care about the moving ahead on our nuclear program and we see the pa is not moving towards a position of strength that they start fighting within it themselves there's a split between the locals again and the tunis outsiders they killed uh, pa security forces killed one of the senior commanders of the al-aqsa martyrs brigade which is associated with fatah because he was close to um mahmoud dahlan mohammed dahlan uh, who was a challenger to to um to Abbas, but and it's only one example of the kind of fights that we are seeing within um, the PA and the lack of progress. And they, they're having unity talks, as you know, but they're not moving very fast. And this week we saw two PA officials, guys, one a guard and one who was a captain in the preventative security forces, open fire. Both were killed in terrorist attacks. So we don't know, is that a reflection of a breakdown within the system or something more? And you know that the, the courts ruled this week that the PA has to pay for the killing of um, uh, the family of parents and, and two unborn uh, children from the Shemesh family, if you remember Tzipian yeah. Gadi in 2002. Um, so they're under increased uh, pressure all the time to... But, you know, they, I don't know that they're in a position really to sit down and seriously negotiate. All right. Uh, I got to mention that, the, you know, terror around the world continues. I do want to mention Chabad of Delaware, another arson attack. And, uh, well, I would assume anti-Semitism, as as, uh, as, as most are suspecting. Uh, we could help them rebuild, everybody, if you want to go online. Uh, Chabad of Delaware is rebuilding from yet a second arson attack. But, uh, Malcolm, we can't let this conversation end without you giving us an update on Vienna and if that attack was specifically against the synagogue or not. So that's a, you're right, this is a, it's not just Vienna, what we see in Paris going on, we see in Great Britain going on. Um, as you know, Macron has, has essentially declared war, and Erdogan declared war on him, Erdogan of Turkey. Uh, 
making very terrible comments and using Holocaust imagery, Nazi references, etc., and um, uh, said he was out of his mind. Uh, the, the several countries, uh, Muslim countries, Pakistan amongst them, uh, had massive demonstrations against France, and they announced a boycott of French products, and Macron is working to try to counter it. It seems to have quieted down a little bit. But the uh, the events, first of all, in Austria, do not appear to be tar- have targeted the synagogue, which was already closed, but bars and bistros that are on, and restaurants that are on that same street. And because it was the last night before the shutdown, which now is in place in Austria because of COVID, uh, people, m- much larger numbers of people were out celebrating, trying to get it in before the midnight shutdown. And so they just, the guy went, and whether it was one or two, they were up to seven, it doesn't appear to be true. Um, and they killed it indiscriminately. There was no no indication yet that this was specifically targeted to the to the Jewish community. Although it took place on the street where the synagogue, which was the subject of an attack a number of years ago. Wow, unbelievable! But the but overall in Europe, we see the the, the increase in anti-Semitic activities. It's not stopping. Um, we see BDS being challenged. You know, the UAE just signed a deal with Golan White Wines from the Golan, and uh, the BDS people complained, and they just um, absolutely dismissed it and, and didn't care. So, the um, you know, and, and we're seeing a resurgence on some of the campuses, and as well as on the internet, a big resurgence of anti-Semitic and anti-Jewish, anti-Israel activity. Yeah. And By I, the way, two-thirds of the American people, or three-quarters, said they recognize that anti-Zionism is anti-Semitism, even though half of the people don't know what anti-Semitism really is. <laughs> a quarter said they didn't never heard the term, and a quarter said that they didn't, especially true of young people, uh, didn't know what it meant. Um, but they do acknowledge that there's an increase. And if you look at the latest study, I think, committee, that the, the numbers of uh, American Jews who reported and that a very significant percentage of young Jews, you know, like the 18 to 30 group, um, are saying that they have experienced uh, anti-Semitism on campus in, in themselves. Yeah, and in general, uh, I mean, I know that most most of the large synagogues are responsible when it comes to this, especially in this area. But we can't let our guard down as synagogues are now being more populated post what hopefully is going to be soon referred to as post-COVID as we get closer and closer to hopefully, you know, more normal times. Uh, we cannot let our guard down. All synagogues and schools pay careful attention to what's happening in Vienna and Delaware and everywhere else. Malcolm, any hope for this vaccine? Hadassah Hospital, the Russians, the Israelis. I mean, the any hope that this could be it and that it could start uh, being distributed, at least in Israel? As Nula to Israel wanted a phone, was told there's always hope. There's no chance, but there's always hope. But I think there's a big chance. I think that we've, there's a new nasal spray that they found that is being tested that blocks it. There are so many avenues to a solution. Um, you know, we shouldn't give false deadlines because we don't know. But the uh, you know how long it will take with human trials are going on in Israel and in Europe and in many places with different uh, vaccines. So I do believe we will we will come up with one. But in the meantime, <clears throat> you see the numbers. I think there were a hundred thousand new cases yesterday in the United States. It's an all time record. Yep. People cannot put their guard down. I see the kids coming home from yeshivas here in my own neighborhood, and they're not wearing masks. 
and I assume they wear them in class, but they should be told we, we have to wear the mask. You have to take, have social distancing. This is not over. You see New Jersey is going to head towards more restrictive measures because the numbers there are, are shooting up. Yep. Connecticut is, is very serious. I mean, there are 40 states or 46 states that are having sharp increases. And, and, you know, we have all sorts of rumors in that regard, too, that it, you can't get reinfected. You can't. All of that is speculation. People have to take precautions and wear the masks, even if it's only sort of the Kiddush Hashem that people, non-Jews who see that from communities, people are taking the precautions. And and, uh, and that means when you're walking in the streets and other times, I mean, if you're alone, you know, some outside of your house, it's a different story, or in your house. But otherwise, the precautions have to continue. Uh, the next month, I mean, I know we, we've been saying this for nine months, but the next month or two is so critical in this whole battle. And boy, do we hope we have positive results very, very soon. Uh, I thank you, Malcolm. Have a wonderful Shabbos. And uh, we will speak Bezrat Hashem next uh, Friday here at God willing. And maybe by then we'll even know the uh, answer to a lot of the questions that you asked today. Yes, hopefully. <laughs> hopefully we'll have some answers. Um, Malcolm Holmline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. Joins us Fridays, 7.40 a.m. Eastern Time here at JM and the AM with the weekly update.